Alright, this is episode 170 of the Regular Features Podcast. It's Christmas. Well, depending on when you listen to this, it's Christmas Eve or after. And unfortunately, none of us could get together to be with each other, which is probably the worst thing that's ever happened on Christmas to anybody, I think. So I'm here in my house in front of a fire, going to pop open a bottle of champagne because, as I said, it was Christmas. I'm just going to pour myself some champagne into... I don't don't have any champagne flutes, so it's going in a mug. So that's what I'm drinking out of, just to set the mood. And we've each done a Christmas story, or in Matt's case, he's done a little song. That's coming up later on. So if you want to listen, why not pop open a bottle of champagne or Prosecco or that thing? Uh, is it Carver Brut that uh, people... Oh, Buck's Fizz is like 2.89 in Tesco, I found out the other day, because uh, I bought some. So yeah, pop open whatever you've got and let us... Do a Christmas in your ears. Regular features, regular features, regular features, road. <laughs> I was driving home for Christmas on the American Interstate Freeway through rain as heavy and wet as my heart. You see, my baby and I hadn't been seeing eye to eye of late, and the more I held her close, the more it seemed she melted away. I guess my mind wasn't fully on the road that fateful night. I was thinking about the last fight I'd had with my baby. She had taken on a job to boost our mutual income, and I had responded by slamming one of my balls in the sock drawer to demonstrate that, well, maybe I wouldn't be needing two balls anymore, as I was clearly not a complete man who could provide for his baby. I never saw that four-door family hatchback pull out into the road because I was rummaging around on the floor for a stick of chewing gum. That poor family didn't stand a chance as the wheels of my monster truck groaned over them and my gigantic rubber tires kissed them with the weight of a billion hurting lips. In the back seat was a little girl, and I guess she must have foreseen her fate because her little hand was gripped around a pen like five shrimps climbing a totem pole. I looked at the pad on her blood-stained lap, and it said, Please, Lord, if I must die today, please find someone who'll feed my baby rabbits. Maybe it was the leader of Bourbon in my blood making me sentimental that night, but I figured feeding her rabbits was the least I could do for this family on Christmas Day. Drunk as I was, and I was beginning to feel really fucking drunk, I realized that arriving at this family's house in my monster truck would be conspicuous, so I leant over the father, undid his seatbelt, and pulled his body into the street. I guess I was the man of the family now. I punched home into their sat-nav and followed its instructions as closely as I could, given that the car was half-crushed and I was just starting to come up hard on a palmful of legal highs. The voice giving me directions was calm and cool, like a goddamn shrink, so I turned it off and decided to trust my instincts, putting my head out of the window. None of the houses looked like they had rabbits in, so I stuck my tongue out, 
thinking that if echolocation can work for ears, then why in God's name shouldn't it work for tongues? I guess that the considerable heft of my monster truck mustn't have crushed the life entirely out of the lady in the passenger seat, as when I pulled my head back into the car, she started screaming, My baby! What's happened to my baby? Over a period of ten seconds, I pulled my tongue slowly back into my mouth, enjoying the feel of it against my metal lips. I said, Darling, I know what you mean. My baby been strange lately, too, not treating me right and staying out all hours. But she carried on screaming, and I guess I wasn't thinking entirely straight when I put my fingers into her mouth to shut her up, as she bit down so hard on my fingertips that they just popped off like stickle bricks. I pointed at her as though to say, Now why did you do that? And blood pumped out of my finger stumps like a sticky water pistol. And a blob of red landed square on her nose, and it occurred to me that she looked like Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer. Why are you laughing? she asked, her face softening with curiosity. You... You look like a fucking reindeer, I chuckled, and soon she was laughing too. I guess I do, she said, checking herself in the vanity mirror. And pretty soon we were chatting and laughing, and I suppose there was a bit of Christmas magic in the air that night, because we drove that car into a chapel and became man and wife. We've been married for three years now. I guess those baby rabbits never did get fed. Regular features come Lovely. So I did a thing where I asked some of you to send me the saddest thing that's ever happened to you at Christmas. I sent an email out to all of our patrons and asked, what is the saddest thing that's ever happened to you on Christmas? And I'm going to read out some of those stories now for the first time and see how sad they actually are. So here we go. We're going to kick things off with Marco Bar. Hello, this one's not that sad. Fucking hell, Mark. Seriously. I asked for sad stories. You start the first one that says, this one's not that sad. Fucking brilliant. So, shall I... I'm not even going to fucking bother reading that one. Fuck him. Next up, then, hopefully we'll get a sad story from... Who's this? Frank Margarella. What a name. One Christmas Eve, we were visiting our grandparents' house in Chicago. It was a yearly gathering of all the cousins I hated, but at least we got presents. We were having dinner and being the little shit that I am, pushed my little brother's face into his mashed potatoes for a joke. In brackets, I wasn't funny back then. Well, Frank, I mean, I'm yet to see any evidence that you're funny now, so... My dad, having had enough of my shit, took me into the basement and had a fist fight with me, breaking my glasses. I never did bullshit like that again, but my dad severely regretted what he did. Um... I don't know whose side I'm on there, really. It's not that sad. It sounds like you were fucking asking for it. Uh, okay, Matt Davis then. Hey, Gav. 
I reckon this is probably the saddest thing that's ever happened at Christmas. I used to have a neighbor next door but one. She was a frail old lady called Mrs. Nixon who lived alone and had a small Yorkshire Terrier called Brandy. Occasionally I'd come home to see an ambulance outside Mrs. Nixon's home and she would go to hospital. During one extended stay in the hospital, about a week or so, my family were asked to look after Brandy. I was about seven at the time, very nervous and shy, and never really interacted with animals before except for being afraid of big dogs. It took me a couple of days to get used to Brandy. I was scared when the little dog waited for us at the bottom of the stairs or licked my toes, but I eventually warmed up and really bonded with him. I would feed him and pet him and take him for walks. That year, we looked after Brandy a couple more times and I visited Mrs. Nixon and Brandy at home a few times. Then came Christmas morning. My parents were called round to Mrs. Nixon's house and at first I wasn't allowed to know why. I bet I can guess why, Matt. After a little while, they told me Brandy was ill and had been put down. I pressed them for more information and they told me it was done at midnight on Christmas Eve. Naturally, I cried and it put a bit of a dampener on Christmas. Yeah, that's pretty sad actually. Okay, this one's from Ben, but oh, so long. All right, I'm not reading that one. <laughs> Sorry, Ben Porthwick. That's just fucking... That's really long, man. Um, yeah, not reading that. Sorry, buddy. Uh, Miles Hamer. Christmas morning, 1992. I'd barely had time to unpeel a satsuma when my older sobbing sister called me downstairs. Penfold, our elderly white and marmalade cat, had finally passed away on the rug by the fire. A trickle of unknown liquid had leaked from his mouth, plus he'd done a little piss too. For some reason, I was normally to dispose of the body. Actually, I know why it was me. I was totally indifferent, like the psycho that you look like in your profile picture. We already had five cats, and frankly, one fewer is less a tragedy. More saving on your weekly shop. Fuck off, Miles. As if you had any control of the weekly budget or how much was spent in the shop. That's bollocks, mate. I wrapped his remarkably stiff body in nine gateway carrier bags to contain any smell, then dumped his corpse in the coal bunker out the back. How old are you, Miles? Gateway coal? I suggested we leave it a few days before burying him as my autistic brother seemed far too keen to see if he could snap its tail in half. Eventually, we had to wait even longer because of the freezing weather, by which time I'm not sure anyone cared anymore. Penfold's Christmas Day death didn't exactly make me feel sad, although as a 14-year-old, it did put me off wanking for a good, say, 10 minutes or so. Stupid fucking cat. Happy Christmas. Love. Will Fiddler. <sighs> ah, that's right, I can read this. When I was a 12 boy, I was gifted a box of Ferrero Rocher. I'd never been allowed them before, and the picture of a clear plastic box filled with a pyramid of individual wrapped nutty chocolates tantalized my young mind. Cut to 15 minutes later and I'm surrounded by golden wrappers sitting on my bed and feeling about as grand as any 12 year old can. In my family it's tradition to have a glass of bubbly with dinner and I'm finally old enough to partake in a glass of the best Prosecco money can buy for less than £25. I proceeded to stuff my face with my mother's grand Christmas feast. Somewhere between the 15 or so chocolates, my first sip of alcohol stronger than a Foster's and my third helping of turkey, something goes wrong. I stagger into the kitchen having excused myself for feeling nauseous. I proceed to spew my tiny little guts out all over the kitchen a sticky mess of hazelnuts, gravy and chunks and not quite champagne. My mother enters the kitchen wondering what the noise was only to find the regurgitated epitome of a 12 year old child covered in an oven. In a sticky mess of hazelnuts, gravy and chunks and not quite champagne. Fuck off. This is like he did say this is like one of the most middle class Christmas stories but it is. Ferrero Rocher, Prosecco, gravy. No mate. I'm, I'm calling that one right there. Next one from Grant Howitt. 
I think the saddest Christmas of all was when I and my fiance went to my parents' house back in 2008 and my dad was a massive racist and made quite literally everyone who wasn't me at the dinner table leave in a flood of tears, which is kind of oppressive if you think about it. Well, is he still a racist? He said my dad was a massive racist. He lives abroad and the crowning moment of his racism was when he said, you know, I just think people should stay where they're born in response to discussion of the Asian communities in Birmingham. I've not been back for Christmas since, which is a shame because my mum's barely racist at all. Please don't use my real name, Gav. Oh no, this is... <sighs> Sorry, Chris Kiampa. This is way too long and you've put links in it. Like, if I'm looking at links, I know it's going to be too long. So I'm going to skip that one. Paul Bannon. Hi, Featured Masters. Saddest thing that ever happened to me at Christmas. I was eight years old and still believed in Santa, as you do. And early on Christmas morning, about 4am, I heard footsteps on the roof. I ran out in the hallway and shouted, Santa, is that you? Only to scare the shit out of my dad who was getting my bike from the attic. Dropped it, landed on me and broke my collarbone. So on Christmas day, I was in A&E having found out there is no such thing as Santa with a broken bike that has caused me to never ride a bike since. Um, yeah, they're not the saddest stories yet, to be honest. I thought they would be sadder. Um, this next one is from Frank. Oh, I know this guy. He's been to some of our live shows. Hello, sexy Gav. He said that. That's just how he decides to start his emails. I don't know. It's Franck, recent Steve's flamboyant French friend. Remember me? Probably not, but no worries. I'm not that memorable. It's Franck, I definitely do remember you. I've met you on several occasions. I think you were Steve's... No, I think you were Reese's French teacher. Maybe. I don't know. But I do, I do definitely remember you anyway. I must have been about seven or eight, we're talking early 80s. I wouldn't believe it when Santa finally brought me a shiny golden cowboy pistol for Christmas. Like a plastic one, obviously. Yes, a gun for Christmas. As I said, it was the 80s. Gav, I was so happy. A shiny golden pistol, just for me. <laughs> That's how he's written it. I hastily proceeded to play with it and pretend pistol whip my four-year-old sister. Not in a violent way though, think village people, campy kind of pistol play. Of course, my dear sister decided that she too wanted to have a go at firing my cool colt. That's the name of a gun. I initially refused to let her even touch it because, you know, it was my pistol and I was too scared she'd break it. Eventually, my parents persuaded me to be a good and responsible elder brother and I let her have a go. Well, I'm not sure what happened then, but within the space of a few seconds, she basically managed to destroy the rubber band thingy that operated the trigger and to cut a long story short, my beautiful golden gay cowboy pistol was fucked. But every story has a silver lining, and that, ladies and gents, was a story of how Santa got me my first dildo. No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't, it wouldn't fit. <laughs> I'm reading all these for the first time, so you could really do me over here, Frank. I was devastated, and I think I stayed mad at my sister for many years after that. She denied all responsibility, of course. I even started thinking this might have been a conspiracy, orchestrated by my very own conniving mother with a gun control obsession. Gay pistol gate broke my heart, and I never got a gun after that. It was just too painful. You know, love and hugs to you and the boys, Frank. Mm. I don't know how sad that is. Simon Evans. Ooh, another long one. No, thank you. <laughs> I'm really sorry. Um, I just don't have the attention span for that. So, there we are. Okay, next up is Casper Thorger's son. Oh, no, it's not, because it's really fucking long. <laughs> Fuck me. Okay, this is from Peter Hodgson. 
Hi Gav. On the 23rd of December 2014, my pregnant wife and I went to hospital for a routine 30-week scan to check on the development of our unborn twins. The plan was to be done with the scan by 5pm, then drive a couple of hours to my parenting. The plan was slowly scuppered over the course of the next seven hours when the ultrasound discovered that my son was not growing as he should be. His size had fallen well off the norm for that point in gestation due to a poorly functioning placenta. His body was doing the best it could to decrease the resistance of blood flow to his brain to try and protect it, but that came at the cost of gaining weight. Do you know, as soon as you said his size had fallen well off the norm, I was just thinking like, he's a mutant, get Professor X in here, this guy's gifted. The decision was made to administer a pair of steroid injections, one delivered 24 hours after the other, to try and jumpstart lung growth for the inevitable early birth. This very painful injection happened after several hours of tracking and plotting both twins' heartbeats, leaving us to exit the almost deserted hospital at 11pm. We spent that day mostly under a duvet in a miserable state of fear and frustrated impotence while my wife berated herself for producing a crap placenta. <laughs> this state continued throughout our visit to my parents until it slowly shifted to panic when my wife couldn't feel either my son or daughter move for- fuck, this better have a good ending, Peter. Either my son or daughter moved for 24 hours, cutting our stay short for a trip back to our home hospital. That was my most miserable Christmas in terror for my children. Epilogue. The kids were indeed born a few weeks later, you fucking prick. <laughs> oh man, I didn't like that. My daughter's heartbeat started freaking out, but they only spent a brief three weeks in the neonatal intensive care unit. Both are now as happy as babies can be. <sighs> I, I'm just really glad. And it says your daughter had an appointment in the hospital the other day to find out how she was doing. So I really hope that went well. Um, have a lovely Christmas, Tom. You fucking prick. Okay, this is the last one then. Uh, and oh yeah, this is from Julia Blythe, um, who comes to a lot of our live shows and is really funny. Do I have a sad Christmas story for you? Get this right, four years ago, the day before Christmas Eve, my mum started on a journey down to Cornwall to go to a super posh hotel for Christmas for a holiday she'd been looking forward to for months and be waiting to do for years. Afternoon tea on Christmas Eve, full turkey dinner cooked by servants, wearing tiaras just for the shits of it, all that stuff. It's basically something she's dreamed of since she first came to England as a teenager from rural Italian poverty, but never had the chance to do it until then. Finally, Finally. Anyway, she and my stepdad stopped in a travel lodge overnight on the M5 and in the middle of the night, before she had a chance to get to her holiday, she had a massive heart attack from out of nowhere with no warning and died. Fucking hell, that's not good. Brilliant. That's the story about how your mum died, that you've... I was going to say tricked me into reading out, but I did ask for sad stories, but I didn't think it would be that sad. Um, yeah, I kind of regret doing this now. Um, thank you for everyone who sent me really, really sad stories in. Um, I mean, I did kind of ask for it, literally, So, but I do feel a bit sad now. Um, so, yeah, if you are feeling a bit sad and you listen to this on Christmas, then, I don't know, I guess... Tweet one of us and we'll probably tweet you back a drawing of a big cock, which makes everything all right. Regular features went down on the... What? Finally today, Matt is going to play us out with a little song that he's written. I've listened to it. It's good. He's good at making songs, that boy.
I fucking hate I hate the fucking pogues. Have a great just have a great wonderful time with your family. Fuck the fuck the pogues. I fucking hate them. Just just fuck off. You have a beautiful time. You fuck off. <laughs>